0: a Bible, if you wouldn't mind turning to Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, we'll be looking at that this morning, specifically we'll be looking at verses 34 to 40, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Well, there's an old military adage that says that no plan survives contact with the enemy. And what that means is that you can have the best plans for battle and have everything figured out, or so you think, and then you get to the actual battle and you discover that things have to change. Nothing ever goes as planned. Shortly after the United States entered into World War II, they were looking for a second front in, um, in Europe. Most of the battles were taking place along the Russian border uh, with the Nazis, and so they were looking for a second front to be able to eventually get to Germany, to liberate Germany, and defeat the Nazis, and so they, discuss, they, they determined that they were going to try to attack Normandy, France, and that would be kind of the beachhead from which they could launch further attacks. And so the planning for the battle went on for, I've seen different figures, but it was anywhere from one to three years that they were planning this battle. They had everything figured out down to the smallest details. The weather, the tides, the time of day, the time of the month. They had plans for parachuters to go into certain areas and paragliders to go into certain areas. Uh, And once they got there, they were going to take over important infrastructure like roads and bridges and whatnot. It seemed like everything was going to go great. Then they get to the actual battle, and everything fell apart. First of all, they had to delay the battle for 24 hours because of weather. And, you know, it was a really tight window. There were only a couple days during the month that they felt like they could launch this battle. But they launched it after 24 hours, and it was a disaster. All of their plans fell apart. Many of the parachuters got shot down as they were were coming down. Uh, A number of them had heavy backpacks and equipment that they were carrying. They ended up drowning in the water. Others went to unmarked landing zones went way off track from where they were supposed to be. They were, the, the different regiments were all mixed together. After the first day of the battle, none of the objectives uh, of the battle were achieved. It seemed like it was going to be an unmitigated disaster. It seemed like the Allied forces were going to suffer a wounding defeat. But this battle went on to be a victory for the Allied forces in a, in a battle that would later be called D-Day, and it became the turning point in the war. So how did they win the battle when all of their plans fell apart? How did they win the battle when their, all of their regiments got mixed together? They won the battle because they knew what the mission was. They knew what, in military speak, was the commander's intent. They knew what they were supposed to do, even if the plan got a little bit awry. These para, parachuters, paragliders... Even if they got off track, they regrouped. They took the bridges and the roads that they were supposed to take. They knew what the mission was, even though the plan fell apart. Commander's intent is something that's described by the Army this way. Commander's intent is a clear and concise expression of the operation's purpose and the desired military end state that supports mission command, provides focus to the staff, and help subordinate and, su- and supporting, it, supporting commanders act to achieve the commander's desired results without further orders, even when the operation does not unfold as planned. So the commander's intent is like, this is what we want to achieve. This is what the commander wants to achieve. This is what a win looks like. This is what success looks like. Even if the plan, the initial plan falls apart, this is where we're going. This is where we're heading. Companies also, good companies, have a, a strong focus and a strong understanding of what the commander's intent is. We often refer to them as mission statements. Like Walmart, for example, they have a very simple but very clear mission statement, very clear commander's intent. Their mission is to save people money so they can live better, to save people money so they can live better. It's so simple, but it kind of organizes everything that they do. It's like no matter what happens in the Walmart organization, the question can be asked, like, is this going to help people save money? And they're successful in that, that, you know, we go to Walmart not because, you know, we just love the experience or love the store, but to save money. And so they organize around this very simple principle. That's what a win is for them, is saving people money. Southwest Airlines, a number of people here uh, work at Southwest Airlines. Southwest Airlines. Uh, Southwest Airlines, their kind of commander's intent is that they are, they want to become the low-fare airline. Uh, the, former CEO, or the former CEO of Southwest Airlines, the longest tenured CEO, Herb Kelleher tells this story uh, or he was speaking to someone and he said this he says, "I can teach you the secret to running this airline in 30 seconds. This is it. We are, in all caps, the low-fare airline." Once you understand that fact, you can make any decision about this company's future as well as I can. So it seems like, you know, I mean, running a big company like Southwest, it seems like it would be a really complicated, like making a lot of different decisions. And and Kelleher says, it's really simple. If you just understand what we're trying trying to do to be the low fare airline, decisions become pretty easy. He gives an example. He says, let's say that Tracy from marketing comes in and says, hey, we've done a survey and uh, customers would rather have a light meal on a particular flight rather than a snack. And and so let's try to make these customers happy. Maybe we could serve a chicken salad uh, on the flight instead of, you know, pretzels or peanuts. And so Kelleher says, well, you know, there's a pretty clear answer to that. You'd ask Tracy. So Tracy... Is serving a chicken salad going to make us the low fare airline? And if the answer is no, then we're not serving a chicken salad. And it helps make decisions a lot easier. Decisions that might seem complex because, you know, there's nothing wrong with serving a chicken salad on a flight, but is it going to help them in their mission? Probably not. There's no rule that says never serve a chicken salad, but it's an organizing principle that They want to be the low fare airline. In a similar way, as people living in a complex culture, navigating life can sometimes be a little bit difficult. Uh, Oftentimes, many issues in our world are not that straightforward. And as believers in Christ, we need to be in God's Word. We need to know all of God's Word. We need to spend time with Him. But also, I think we need to know the commander's intent. Like, what would God have for us? And thankfully, I think... Jesus gives us that commander's intent in this passage. He tells us what is most important. He tells us what success and what a win looks like in his book. In the passage that we're looking at today, the Pharisees see that Jesus has silenced and thwarted the Sadducees, and they want a shot at Jesus again. They've already brought some questions to him, but they come to him again, and they ask him, Teacher, what's the most important Commandment. What's the most important part of the law? Which is the greatest commandment? It says in the text, a lawyer asked him, meaning that if someone like a scribe who was an expert in the Old Testament law. Now, this was a kind of a common question the Pharisees had about six hundred and thirteen commandments that they followed, and so it was a common question to 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 try to determine like which are the most important ones. I mean, think about six hundred and thirteen trying to do all of those at once. Like, what should I start with? What's most important? And oftentimes they would group them into what they would call heavy commands, which kind of had a higher weight that you know, were more important, and then lighter commands that were, not, that were still important but not quite as important. And so the question that they're asking, it's a kind of a common question, but they're probably doing it from you know, kind of a, the wrong motives. They're trying to trap Jesus and trying to get him to say something that's wrong. They're trying to get him kind of in a controversy, maybe offend one party or another, maybe say the wrong passage, say the wrong commandment, and, and, you know, be embroiled in a controversy. Oftentimes, you know, rabbis would talk about different passages in in the Scriptures that kind of illuminated other passages. And so Jesus has this question. Once again, he gives a brilliant answer. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he says the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now what Jesus is saying here, it's not revolutionary. It was actually, he couldn't really be citing a more common passage. Uh, Jews at that time and even today recite the Shema and they would recite it twice a day. The Shema is, you know, something like this from Deuteronomy chapter 6. They would say something like this, hear O Israel. So what Jesus says here, it's not surprising, you know, they had, you know, recited this probably this morning, you know, the morning before they're talking to Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. But the way that Jesus groups them is, it's not completely unique, but he groups these two things together. See, Jesus has asked the question, "Which which is the greatest commandment? But how does he answer? He answers with two commandments. He says, the greatest is, of course, you know that, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he says, the second is like that, love your neighbor as yourself. He's not asked about, you know, to rank them. He says, you know, they're asking, what's the top one? But why does Jesus provide two? Because I believe in Jesus' mind, you need both of those to summarize the Old Testament. You need both of those things. and those, Both of those things are, are intertwined. That you can't really love God without loving your neighbor. And you can't truly love your neighbor like they need to be loved without loving God. And so he puts these two things together. That's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he gives us this commander's intent, so to speak, that's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And when he's saying love the Lord with all your heart, soul, uh, and mind, in uh, Matthew it only includes three. Mark includes strength. Why is that? I think that the point is is the same, that Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God with, with everything that you have. He's not, you know, calling us, okay, like, let's compartmentalize our lives. It's like, okay, I gotta love him with my mind. Now I gotta love him with my heart. He's like, love him with all that you are. And then he says, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So it's pretty simple what Jesus says. It's pretty simple what he declares to be kind of a win- in his book. And and just as an aside here, you know, just kind of talk about like, okay, what about the Great Commission? And the Great Commission is vitally important to us as a church. But here's the reality, the Great Commission flows from the Great Commandment. The Great Commission flows from the Great Commandment. And so Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the Great Commission, that's an application of that command. To love God. We love God by sharing our faith, by making disciples. We love other people by sharing our faith, by making disciples. And so I believe this is the principle that underly, undergirds everything that we're to do as individuals and as a church. Loving God with all that we are, loving our neighbor as our, as ourselves. And so I think that you know, the, the principle is pretty simple, but I think it does a couple things for us. The number one thing it does is it provides us with some focus. It helps us kind of zero in on the things that matter, that are important. Matthew 23, 23 to 24, Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, he's not saying don't tithe, but your top priority should be justice, mercy, faithfulness, which are expressions, of caring for other people, expressions of love. Your, your top priority should be those things. That love should be the thing that undergirds everything that you do. as a church we're trying to adopt that our commander's intent from Jesus. That's why Pastor Mike says till he's blue in the face our mission. Our mission is to genuinely love God and authentically love people. And our hope is that this would not just be something that we say. It just wouldn't be this, you know, phrase that we say, but something that organizes everything that we do. That everything that we do as a church would be kind of under those two umbrellas, loving God and loving people. That this would be a compass for us to guide us as a church. And this kind of helps us to hone in on what's important. Because whether it's in our church or in our personal lives, good things can sometimes become distracting things. And the mission, the commander's intent we get from Jesus, helps us focus on the things that matter. So here's an example. Let's say someone says, hey, I got this great idea. Let's do a bake sale and, you know, we can sell these baked goods and then maybe we could give the money to an animal rescue. And, and you know, that's something we could do as a church. Now, that's a great thing. I love animals and part of our job as, you know, believers is, is being good stewards of the creation that God has given us and taking care of, you know, the creatures that God has given us. And that's a great thing for us to do. But is that our mission as a church? Is our mission to take care of animals? Not, not so much. It's to love God and love people. So no matter what we do in our church, we need to think about that question like, how is this going to help me love God or love the people around me? And if it's not doing one of those things, maybe it's something that we need to say no to. Maybe we need to say no to sometimes some things that are good not bad things necessarily, things that are really good, but to distract us from the mission. It wasn't wrong to serve chicken salad on a a particular flight. In fact, customers, the polls had been done, it would make the customers happy. Some people would, you know, say, hey, we had a great meal. It's awesome, Southwest offers chicken salad sandwich. But it would distract them from the goal. And the same thing is true for us. We need to make sure that we're not distracted from the goal that God has for us. As individuals, this applies to us as well. Like, how do we spend our time? What do we, how do we spend our resources? How do we live in relationship to one another? Sometimes, you know, maybe we need to reprioritize our life and maybe say no to some things so we can say yes to the things that matter. And that organizing principle, loving God and loving people, needs to be the principle that organizes our lives corporately and also as individuals as well. So the commander's intent helps us kind of hone in on the things that matter. But also, I think that the commander's intent, Jesus says, provides us with support. Jesus says that on these commands, loving God and loving people depend all the law and the prophets. The literal word for Depend is the word hang. And when you look at this text, the way that this word is used in the Old Testament translation, uh, the Greek Old Testament translation, the Septuagint, um, we see that this word is often used in a very literal sense of hanging, someone being hanged. Uh, 2 Samuel 18, it's used of Absalom, hanging from a tree. And, And so, you know, you think about that image and Just an aside. So, just for curiosity, how many of us this year are going to have real Christmas tree? Raise your hand if you have a real Christmas tree. Wow, not many real Christmas trees. Raise your hand if you have an artificial Christmas tree. Wow, I didn't expect that. Raise your hand. Let's see. I want to see who's going to get cold this year if you're not going to have any Christmas tree. All right, a couple of us. (laughs) If I didn't have kids, I probably wouldn't either. So. when I was growing up, um, we often had real Christmas trees, but my grandparents had an artificial tree. Now, artificial trees have really come a long way in the last few years. You know, Now you can get them with the lights that are in them, and you, know, you can put them together. They're like two or three pieces, and then just snap together in like two minutes. Very convenient. But the one that my grandparents have wasn't so convenient. They used to keep it up in their attic. I used to always love to help them put it together. But the way that it was set up, it was like there was this big green pole, and it was just the pole, and then there was branches, and you had to hang every single branch all around the tree. And they were color-coded, so you had to make sure that they were on the right level or it would, you know, look really weird. And so, you know, thinking about that image, you know, the, the command that Jesus gives here, loving God and loving people, it's kind of like that support pole. And the commands of God, the other commands of God, they're like those branches that hang on that tree. And the problem with the Pharisees were they they focused on the branches. It's like, it's just what we do. But they missed the most important part of why they're doing it. That, That if they're just focused on the branches, the branches can't stand on their own. The branches are simply an outworking of that command to love God and love that you need that support of loving God and loving people for everything, for the law to, to hold up. And that's why, you know, the Pharisees, they weren't doing, you know, they were doing some things that were wrong. But they were also doing some good things with wrong motives. Like they were praying, but, you know, it says in the scripture, they often prayed on the street corners. So that everyone could hear them and hear hear their great words and how great they prayed. They would tithe, but they would go to the, you know, the coffers and they would you know, make a big show of, like, how loud it was. And so that everyone see, they would see, I, you know, I'm righteous. I'm, I'm giving to the temple. They would fast, but they would put on, you know, old clothes and be like, oh, fasting again. But I love the Lord. You know, they, they were doing a lot of the right things, but they were doing them for the wrong reasons. They missed that support of loving God and loving people. This applies to our own lives as well. Like the Pharisees, we can do the right things, we can read the Bible, we can give, we can go to church, we can serve, but if we're not doing them with that heart of love for God and other people, we're wasting our time. But this also applies to what we do as a church as well, whether it's breakfast with Santa or Sunday morning service or small groups or kids club, church in the park, it's it's not simply enough to do the right things. We're doing them with the wrong motive. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So let's apply this to our context. We could have dozens of people come here on Sunday morning. We could have a great worship experience where, you know, we sing and we feel, you know, warm feelings inside of our soul. We can hear an inspiring message and, and leave encouraged. But if our hearts are not filled with love, we're wasting our time. We can have, you know, hundreds of people that we serve breakfast with Santa. But if we're not doing it with love, we're wasting our time. We can encounter a number of people at church in the park, but if we're not showing them the love of Christ, we're wasting our time. We could have 40 kids come out to Kids Club, but if we don't show them love, we're wasting our time. We can grow in numbers. We could outgrow this building. But if we don't have hearts of love for God and God's people, we're wasting our time. We might as well just join a social club. Love makes life meaningful. And when I say that, I'm not saying that we should be pushovers and say, oh, I'm just driven by love. Like, by the way, God gets to define what love is. And he defines what love is in his Word. But here's the vision, that every man, woman, and child who encounters I Hope Community Church would leave this place thinking, I've never encountered a place so loving. That's the vision for our church. That these people, they really have a heart for God, and I felt like they really cared for me. That's the vision I think that God has for us as a church. Jesus says this He says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Every activity that we do as a church, ought to be governed and driven by love. And love it makes things that are not meaningful, makes even ordinary things meaningful and having eternal significance. And so I believe that's the commander's intent that Jesus gives us here, loving God with all we have, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And this provides us with focus that we can put aside the things that, you know, maybe are good things, but are not ultimate things and focus on the mission that God has for us. But it's also a reminder as well that we need that support, that everything that we do has to be supported by love, that we can't just do the right things with the wrong motives. We need the love of God inside of our hearts. And so I think he provides us with an important reminder here of what's important. As I look back on my life, there's been a number of different businesses, stores, or restaurants that have gone out of business in my lifetime. You can probably think of a number of them yourself. Stores like Ames or Kmart, the Georgian House. Uh, thought of, you know, Nestor's over there on Webster Street. K if you live in North Tonawanda, you probably remember that. Bonton. A lot of stores that have come and go, gone. And when I think about that, some of those stores, it's like, well, you know, they weren't that great a store. And I can kind of see why they went out of business. But there's other ones that... Kind of miss one that I especially miss is Sears. Sears at one point was uh, the biggest retailer in the country in the 70s and 80s. It was the biggest retailer in the country, um, had stores you know all over the place. I remember when I was a kid growing up, um, if we needed a weed whacker, lawn mower, uh, dishwasher, stove, refrigerator, it didn't matter what we needed, we went to Sears, and usually that's where we got the best product, best price, and so we didn't even, you know, have to shop around much. It was like we went to Sears. I remember my grandfather, he would, um, he loved craftsman tools and, you know, would talk about how great craftsman tools were. You know, they were American-made, you know, product and, you know, they had a lifetime warranty. Um, They're just great. Now today, you know, Sears has filed for bankruptcy. There's only, there's actually 12 stores left in the country. I'm not sure exactly where they are. But I, my guess is those ones will probably eventually go out of business as well. But I think about it like what happened? Now of course there were a lot of external factors like you know Walmart and Amazon and Home Depot. There were a lot of different factors that were involved in it. The fact that they kind of diversified a lot and got into a lot of different things rather than you know being involved just in retail. But I, I wanted to, like, look a little bit further and, like, kind of delve into, like, what was their mission? What was their purpose? And I looked, in and the purpose statement I found uh, was this. To grow our business by providing quality products and services at great value when and where our customers want them and by building positive, lasting relationships. To grow our business by providing quality products and services at great value when and where our customers want them and by building positive, lasting relationships. The founder of Sears put it this way early in Sears history, if you buy a good watch, you'll always be satisfied. And at our prices, a good watch will influence the sale of another good watch. And so part of their mission was to provide quality products at a great value, that you know, if you provide quality products at a good price, people are going to want to come back. I remember 10 years ago or so um, there was a sale at Sears for Black Friday on craftsman drill bits. And so I went there and got a good deal and I was really excited. Like I got craftsman tools. Like these are really quality, great tools. I didn't really have any tools at that point. So I got these craftsman drill bits and I remember going out and I take took the Phillips head drill bit, put it in my drill and I went went to screw in a screw and the drill bit broke inside of the screw. Snapped. This happened with multiple drill bits. And, and I've used, you know, dozens of different drill bits, DeWalt and other companies. Never had anything like that happen before. Apparently they had, you know, started to outsource their materials, had kind of lowered the quality of what they were selling. And then I you know, saw a craftsman and I was like, this is not something that I want to buy. Like This is not a quality product at a fair price. Also, you know, it, it, part of their mission was to, to sell where people were and when they wanted to, to buy them, when, it, when they wanted to, to buy. remember a few years ago, it was Black Friday, and I was looking at you know, different ads, and I was looking for the Sears ad in the newspaper, and there was no Sears ad in the newspaper. So I was able to find it somewhere, find it online, and ended up going there, and while you know, at Best Buy or Walmart, there were people that were camped out, like, all night long. There was just a handful of people at Sears not really buying a whole lot. While Americans were leaving malls, Sears just stayed in those malls and hunkered down. Then other companies like Amazon, and if you look at Amazon's kind of their mission, and kind of the the goal that um, Jeff Bezos has for Amazon, it's very similar to the mission that Sears Initially had. Sears they lost their vision, and the result was they went bankrupt. It wasn't that they had a bad vision? They lost their vision. They started selling products that weren't that good anymore. Started selling at places where people weren't congregating anymore. I think it's a warning for us as well. If we lose our mission, if we forget the commander's intent, the result is spiritual bankruptcy. Both as individuals, but also corporately as a church. No matter how much activity we do, no matter how much movement there is, if we lose the focus, if we lose the mission, we'll end up spiritually bankrupt. So as we close today, I'd like to leave with you with a few questions to ponder. A few questions for us to ponder as believers. First, personally, what would it look like in my life for me to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? For that to happen, what changes would have to happen in my schedule, my priorities, my affections? What would it look like for me to love God with all of my heart? Second question, what would it look like for me to love my neighbor as myself? What would it cost me to do that? What would it cost me to love my neighbor? Maybe it would cost me, you know, maybe eating out, you know, one, one time less a week. Maybe it would cost me spending time with someone that maybe I don't want to spend time with. Maybe it would, you know, cost me just showing love and forgiving someone that I don't really want to forgive. What would it cost me to love my neighbor as myself? Third, what would it look like for our church to love God with all of our heart, soul, minds, and strength? What would that look like? How would that be reflected in our corporate worship and our activities? Fourth, what will it take for our church to be marked as a place of radical love? What will it take? What will it take to achieve that vision where every man, woman, and child comes into this place, encounters I Hope Community Church, and leaves saying, man, that's a place of love. Those people love God, and I felt like they loved me. Finally, what is holding me back from genuinely loving God and authentically loving people? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your incredible love and faithfulness. We thank you that you modeled what it looks like to love your Heavenly Father and to love people. And that we know that you showed us that it looks like becoming a servant, being obedient even to the point of death. Lord, as people individually scattered throughout the city as we're doing, as we're living our lives and working and going to school, and doing all different things, Lord, teach us what it looks like to be faithful to you. Teach us what it looks like to love you in every area of our lives and to love those around us well. Lord, as a church, help us to remain on mission. Help us to never forget what's most important. Help us to focus on the activities to to, to leverage our resources for the things that matter to you. Lord, I pray that love would be the support of everything that we do. That every activity that we do, every encounter that we have with the world around us, I pray that those things would be undergirded by love. And Lord, I pray that we would be known by our love, that your people hear it, I hope, and also throughout the region and the country would be known by their incredible love for you and those around us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.